Well, hi, Beth. Hi, Margo. I'm so excited that you're going to do our podcast today. You are definitely a pioneer in the improv field, especially in medical improv. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this and what exactly medical improv is? Well, hi, Margo. I'm excited, too, to be having this conversation with you. Um, yeah, sure. It, the to not go and spend a huge amount of time on the answer to those questions. Um, I'm going to start with the second one first. What is medical improv? And that is basically a, a subform of applied improv where we're using improv to build skills or influence outcomes um, in the workplace or the community. It just happens to be with um, medical professionals or paraprofessionals or even patients and consumers. So that's kind of a broad definition. But anyway, that um, the, the learnings and teachings that we can take from the world of theater improvisation and apply them to the healthcare world, I would consider that to be medical improv. How I got into it? Um, well, that is um, a longer story that's kind of a personal and a professional trajectory. I have been a nurse for about 30 years, and um, I'd say close to 20, actually maybe 20, a little over 20 years ago, um, when I was getting divorced, it was a painful time in my life. But at that time, it was also a catalyst for me to learn some of my own behaviors in relationship, um, and which involved speaking up and having a voice and that kind of thing, and um, getting into some counseling that was helping me do that in a healthy way, which I am still to this day very grateful for. Um, also, at the time, I was became a single mom or co-parenting from with a, you know, not in relationship with my ex anymore. But anyway, uh, my young son at the time was uh, very shy and also very interested in theater. And I could see him um, shining in that world. Um, I think inclusion and acceptance um, in the theater world were really healthy for him. So I could see him come alive in the same way that he would in my living room in the world of theater. Um, and plus, I have to say that my bachelor's, before I even went to nursing school, uh, was in my master, my um, BS was in biochemistry, but I also had a minor in theater and communication. So this bridge between art and science has been going on for a long time. Anyway, um, in the course of learning about myself and seeing my sunshine and um, looking for ways to build my own life, I've took an improv class, and I could start to see where, oh, my goodness, the, the skills that I'm learning in therapy, um, are. this is a great way to practice them. Um, so I started taking improv classes regularly, and I'm still learning about the basics of communication <laughs> in my classes. Um, and, and I ultimately went... Um, Back to school to get a master's in organization and management. At the time, I was thinking, I am getting out of healthcare. We have a lot of issues with patient safety, um, bullying, burnout, those kinds of things. And I and, and I was finding that even though I was learning new skills, healthy ways of saying no and setting limits and asking for help, I couldn't practice them in an unhealthy culture where it's working at the time. So I got my master's in something different. I built a model to use theater games to teach emotional intelligence to kids 
that was kind of where I was going career-wise. And I did that for a while once I got out of school. Um, and then I had a chance to get back into healthcare because um, I was invited to teach a graduate-level course at Antioch University where I had gotten my master's, and that was for healthcare administrative students. And that was in the early 2000s, which coincided with some of the work that is still ongoing in patient safety today. But that's when we started to discover, uh-oh, we're making a lot of mistakes. And not only are we making mistakes, those mistakes are causing harm. And not only that, but underlying those issues are communication skills. That is like the leading root mm-hmm. cause. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, the evidence was coming out in the healthcare circles. So that's when I started to build my consulting business on teaching communication. And um, I think it was like a natural integration of improv activities into my workshops because I can tell you that's what I see. That's what works. When people have experiences where they can feel heard, like um, the same time story video that's out on on YouTube, when people experience being Mm -hmm. heard, that's how we can help them become better listeners. Um, So... Um, yeah, so that, I, I had a chance to do a um, a workshop in at a New York public health forum where it was that was back I think in 2012 or 2011, and I used improv to teach communication skills. I was just getting more of a focus on uh, on that work, and um, I just was just astounded by, we did an activity called Overload, which you may be familiar with, where somebody has to count to four while, while somebody else is asking personal questions, mm-hmm. another person, you know, that activity. And what I saw in that moment was, oh, my God, this is what happens to us all the time. Mm-hmm. We're multitasking, and we make mistakes, but it's what we're, we're set up to make those mistakes mm-hmm. because the environment is so stressful. Um, so that helped me, I think, sort of shift from being a communications expert to being an applied improviser and focusing more and more on that. Um, I took the one, the first train the trainer that Katie Watson and Belinda Fu did in um, at Northwestern University um, about the same time, or I think the next year of from when I was like, oh, I have to focus on improv. So um, yeah, that was a long. No, that's that's great. Now, I know when I took my first improv class, I was hooked. I couldn't get enough of it. I just went to as many classes, festivals, whatever I could do, and I've actually found teachers who I can work with online, improv teachers and coaches. Really? Yeah, because I'm in Naples, Florida, and we don't have that many down here, so I currently work with uh, a coach out of uh, San Francisco. Wow, uh, that sounds very exciting. It is exciting. But, you know, we I always think about seven degrees of separation. We have a lot in common, you and I. Um, yeah. I've been teaching prevention of medical errors and mental health since 2001. It's a required course in Florida. Wow. And, but I haven't been using much improv. I use some humor, but not a lot of improv. And so mm-hmm. joining those two are so important because it is one of our leading health causes of death today, the medical errors. And uh, so, now tell me, where's your son today? And what's he doing? He is in um, Missouri, India, where he teaches drama at an international residential school. So um, 
he 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 studied theater education, mm-hmm. and he's very interested in social how 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 theater can help with um, social causes. So yeah, oh, that's we fantastic. That is fantastic. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited for him. Um, yeah, he was just in Hong Kong learning international bureau standards or something about curriculum and, and theater education. Wow. So he's having a very broad, you know, an experience that is giving him such depth and breadth. Oh, he's a good guy. That's fantastic. He was actually home for a few weeks of summer where one of my projects is to film some of the activities because in healthcare, I think that we can get the fundamentals in in, I think there's a sense of urgency to to help um, educators and other leaders in healthcare to teach some of the fundamental activities. And like because there are limitations in terms of taking courses, and it's a different way of teaching than our medical model um, mm-hmm. generally expects us to do. It's not intellectual; it's experiential. Um, the time restrictions that healthcare professionals have. Um, and the stress levels, there's a lot of resistance to getting this kind of work into the healthcare world. So my thinking is that if we can have ways to help train the trainers so that they can do some of the fundamentals, we can create a rippling effect. Anyway, so I have a filming project going on, and my son, Curran, um, was home during one of the filming projects. So I have him um, in some of the train-the-trainer videos that... I'm working on editing. I'm working on publishing. So. Oh, I can't wait to see those. Now, you have a lot of good video online at YouTube and other sites that you've created. Yeah. I was watching the Culture of Safety Optimizing Patient Experiences recently. Yeah. Such good yeah. information in there. Yeah. I appreciate your feedback. I have a small group locally in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I, m- one of my other businesses is called the, not one of the other business I have is the Portsmouth Improv Learning Lab, where um, I teach improv locally, not to necessarily healthcare professionals, but it gives me a chance to practice teaching um, different activities and tweaking them in a way that um, is not performance-based, but is more about the process. And right. as a result, I have this great group of people. Um, the, out of the, the acronym is PILL for Portsmouth Improv Learning Lab, and so they're the out-of-the-pillbox players. So they come together to um, we've done two filming sessions so far, and they're just they're great people. They're people that don't have acting experience for the most part. They're psychologists, they're te- retired teachers, they're substance abuse counselors, um, people that are really um, happy to play together mm-hmm. and also value the uh, amazing, rich learning potential that improv offers us. They're fantastic. I've seen those videos, and they're fantastic. And what I like about your teaching style is you keep it really simple. Sometimes I over-explain something before we do it, and what you have is the ability to communicate in a very easy-to-understand, mindful manner. Thank you. I think part of it is just is, is learning from getting feedback. I remember years ago doing a, a thing with kids, and um, I'm so 
I was so focused on making sure that everybody's voice was heard in the beginning of setting norms that I spent a lot of time, and some of their feedback was like, we spend too much time <laughs> doing that. And, and the more I teach, I think the more I learn that people, part of the experience of learning will happen in the process of doing it. And mm-hmm. I, you know, people will ask me questions. I'm like, oh, that's a good question because I hadn't thought of that. I'm like, let's, let's try it, and then we'll tweak it kind of mindset. It's fantastic. So I want to throw out some words to you and want you to just kind of improvise on them, if that's okay. And yeah. Oh, but before we do that, I did remember I wanted to say, I, one of the challenges I face here in Naples, Florida, is sometimes when I'm approaching perhaps a skilled facility or assisted living facility or, or different groups, when they hear improv, they immediately think of whose line is it anyway or something on stage or performance or something they don't even know what it is, but it sounds kind of kooky. And yeah. so I think that's kind of a, for me at least, I don't know if you've experienced any of those issues. Yeah, definitely, and I, I really don't think there is one answer to that dilemma of whether to use the term or not. I mean, I think experiential learning is a, another way um, to approach mm-hmm. folks. I I kind of am a stickler for using the term myself because I feel like, for two reasons, I'm trying to develop um, the body of work and respect where it comes from because it does right. come from theater and I think we've trivialized that in our whole social culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other reason is that um, I think it, it helps people to be able to open the door to all the other resources out in the world and applied theater and, and excuse me, applied improv. But, you know, that's good reason. I mean, like Jude trader Wolf. She's somebody that tends to, in some of her wellness um, workshops, she tends to not use the word. Mm-hmm. And I totally respect that because, and her, I think at least, I don't want to quote her, but part of her reasoning that I know from our conversations is that because improv, it feels intimidating, it's scary to people, and we're trying to make it safe. So, you know, it's a ju- kind of a judgment call. Yeah, well, you know, it does come from a social work tradition back to Viola Spolin. In my, in, yeah. <laughs> so I really resonate with the term and which the work that she did, which was for needy people, people who were um, disenfranchised in this culture, the immigrants. Yeah. So I think it you know, has a strong background. Now, what about, yeah. I mentioned mindfulness. Is mindfulness something you also include in your work? Well, yes, I have a colleague whose name is Liz Corbeck Emerson, and she teaches mindfulness, and she has a background, she has an MFA um, in theater arts, and so she and I have been teaching a class, called, we call it Stronger Together, and it's um, a combination of improv and mindfulness, and it's, a, it's an amazing experience to teach, um, we, we've taught it four times so far, and mostly we're teaching it locally, but we're developing a... Um, a workshop called The Gods Must Be Crazy, The Improv and Mindfulness <laughs> Path to Organizational Bliss. You know, it's like so powerful. It's all the things we, we, we talk about needing in our world. You know, it's connection, it's, it's fun, it's personal growth, it's social interaction. Um, and, and, and the, so she does, the, she focuses on the mindfulness part while I focus on the improv. Mm-hmm. And we have discovered that that idea of being present um, whether we're present by ourselves or present together, how, how the mindfulness can help us be 
present in both places, and both are, are vital for us. There's just so many correlations between mindfulness theories or philosophy and improv. As you said, being in the present, being here now, being yep. aware, uh, yep. being yep. aware of everything that's going on. And just think about, on. like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean no, to no. interrupt. I just uh, was getting enthusiastic, but this idea that we can co-create and learn to trust each other and be connected in healthy ways, even eventually if it means setting limits, that we're still learning how to be assertive when we play improv. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So here's a couple of words I want to throw out. Okay. Okay. Listening. All. You just want me to say one word back, right? Oh no! Oh, we could play that game. We could. I oh, okay. Say, I could say, but that wasn't my intent. There is a game where we throw words back and forth, but we're not playing. The, no, I want you to riff on it or improvise okay. on some words. And the first one sure. being listening. Listening is 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 the way we validate each other's existence. It is so important. I've seen it with people with, with who have dementia. When we're in a when I used to be providing direct care, if we tell if they say I want to go home and we say you can't go home or this is your home or something that invalidates that says that we're not listening, even if they can't process cognitively, they know they're not being listened to and you can see that the that, that rage you know, you can see it. It's it's a visceral response to not being heard. And I, I, I think it's important so, so to me, that's like a, a a highlighted example of just how important it is. But it's, we exist; we don't exist if we're not heard. <laughs> so, it's pretty important. Okay, acceptance. Oh, it's so important to be accepted. You know, um, to be able to be ourselves. Um, I think we get messages where I can be who I am. And then you can be who you are. Any relationships that come from that place of acceptance, I think, can 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 are, become at a depth of authenticity that um, we need spiritually to shift our world into a place where humanity is more valued. Mm-hmm. I was just a camp nurse for a theater camp for two weeks this summer, oh. and I loved. Um, I, you know. I, I had to be more of the, the clinical nurse person than be involved in anything improv, but that's okay. I can do it for two weeks. But I could walk around in my shorts and my staff T-shirt with my walkie-talkie hanging out of my pocket, and I felt like I could be who I am. And you could see there were a couple young men walking around in dresses, and they could be who they were. And not only could they be who they were, but the other young men and women that like might not be wearing dresses, they they were so accepting. So yeah, it feels big. It's beautiful. Okay, being in one's head. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I guess what comes to my mind about that is that you know ten percent of our communication is around the words, the content. And that is, speaks to what I would say the intellectual part of our existence and relationships. So there's a lot going on that um, we may not be conscious or totally aware of. Um, and so getting out of our head and into our bodies and into this white space where nonverbal communication is going on is um, 
also very important and also can happen with both mindfulness and improv. Now, I think we've covered this a bit, but empathy. Empathy. Oh, that's another, you know, we're, we're talking about all these important aspects of relationship um, and being able to appreciate and honor another person's experience, to understand it even even when or maybe perhaps especially when our experience is is different. If we can't do that, I don't think we can be really in very intimate relationships. We can be connected on the surface, but without empathy, I don't think we can... Um, be connected in a way mm-hmm. that our being social creatures as human beings is as fulfilling as, as it could be and maybe even as we need it to be. Exactly. So one of the common phrases we hear is there are no mistakes or no failures. Can you speak to that issue? Um, yeah, and that's interesting in healthcare because, and I usually say this when I'm in a workshop, that it, because that's one of the rules of improv is to celebrate our mistakes, whereas in healthcare we actually want to avoid them whenever <laughs> possible. So it's a little bit of a paradox, but I think that in improv, what celebrating mistakes or there are no mistakes, what that philosophy does for us is it helps us to... Um, Exhale and be human because being human does involve making mistakes. At the same time, um, by opening the door up and creating a level of, um, I would guess I would say personal safety around making mistakes, then how that translates into the medical world is that then we can um, start to be more realistic about what we expect of human beings. We can create cultures where instead of blaming each other, we're looking um, to uncover what happened and fix it so it doesn't happen again. Um, so it's, yeah, those are the things I would say about that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And here's our final word, and that word is love. Oh, I love that question or word. Um, I think it's our natural state, Marco. I think we're challenged to get back there with each other. I think it involves love of ourselves, our love of each other. I think it's connected with things like trust and respect that are feeling threatened right now in our world. And, um, you know, I, I think that the playfulness of improv that improv offers, especially when we are focused on creating a safe environment so that you, so that people that might not be used to um, performing can take the risk to play together, that love emerges in the context of that play. Beautiful. Yeah, one of my guests recently said that in the, in the world, in the corporate culture, we don't tell people, I love you. And he said about telling, he's telling people he loves them, and they're saying, wow. "I love you back." And what a gift that is! And it's not something to be taken lightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I might not walk up to a stranger at Starbucks and say, "I love you," but there's certainly people in my life that I don't tell often enough. I love you. So, yeah. I love you, Beth Boynton. <laughs> and I love you, Margo. It's so nice to hear and to feel. And I think we can be freer with that, you know, people like in my, I I think I used to, it was harder for me than it is now. I feel like I can say it, 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 sign my emails, love, Beth, Mm -hmm. Uh, it may not be permanent love, I don't know, (laughs) but 
it's you know I have a feeling of love for that person. Yeah. Well, you're oh, Margo. What? <laughs> no, I just I mean like your articles that you've written a couple one about Parkinson using improv. They both have that theme in them, but one about self care for caregivers and um, for Parkinson's. Um, folks that work with Parkinson's are wonderful articles and I I love you for writing those articles and for <laughs> Yeah, and and I love you for all the amazing things you're doing. And there's going to be links to all of your articles and videos, and you're on so many improv, applied improv websites, medical improv, that uh, Facebook pages that people can join and learn more about. And I, I really, you are a pioneer in this field, Beth. And I am hoping we're both going to be in New York next summer at the Applied Improv Network conference. I'm hoping so, too. I'm planning on it. That really, I'm excited about that. I know. It was in Paris last year, so to have it so close to home, relatively, is really great. Right. Yeah, that makes it more accessible um, for me, anyway, right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Beth, and you have a wonderful, wonderful day, and thanks for sharing with us today. Thanks, Margo. I love you. I'll say it again, and I really appreciate your questions and your great listening. Thank you, Beth. Bye-bye. Bye. Are you still...